The Truth News Network. From sea to shining sea, across the fruited plain, the land of the free and the home of the brave is denied permission to talk about, hear about, read about real news. Denied by three corporations with ties to our political enemies. Where do you get your doses of the truth? TNN, the Truth News Network. And your anchor is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Midweek TNN Live. So glad you join us every day. So glad you joined us today. I just looked to see what our audience size is. It jumped up, and that's primarily because right here at the top of the show, joining us today from Washington, D.C., 4th Congressional District Representative Mike Johnson from Louisiana. Good morning, sir. Hey, my friend. Great to hear your voice as always. Man, I can't tell you how excited our people get when you drop by. It's just so good mm-hmm. to get our our arms around some facts from somebody that's on the inside of all of this insanity. That would be you. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. We're, we're uh, happy to talk to your audience because I know they're savvy and informed and you know, there's, it's difficult to find reliable information these days, so we're glad you're on the air. Thank you, sir, for being so kind. Let's jump right to it. I'm going to respect your time. When we talked originally, we were going to break into some of this crazy southern border stuff. And I want to circle back, Jen Psaki term, circle back at the end of this. <laughs> but uh, going into this, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is a little bitty guy, Russian President Vladimir Putin. And this thing in Ukraine, Mike, it's 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 getting out of hand very quickly. What's your what's well, your take is. on it all? What's your take on it all? You know, it was all so avoidable. It, it, obviously, this did not happen during the four years of the Trump administration. There's a reason for that. You know, you and I subscribe to the old Ronald Reagan doctrine of peace through strength, and he used to explain so well that the reason for that is because we know that weakness invites aggression. Right? There are bullies. There. Are, terrorists and tyrants and rogue heads of state all around the world and the only thing holding them at bay is the at least the perception that america is still the last great superpower that we stand for liberty and freedom and 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 human dignity and human rights and all of that and so it holds the bad guys at bay but right now we have an occupant in the oval office who has projected nothing but weakness on the world stage over and over and then incompetence with the debacle and the withdrawal with Afghanistan, et cetera. So that has emboldened the bullies. It has emboldened Vladimir Putin. We're, we're, we're very concerned about the Chinese Communist Party and what they may do next. And Iran is, you know, very aggressively, again, moving for nuclear weapons. I mean, this is a very dangerous time. And we have a commander in chief who seems to be completely oblivious to the real threats. And now you're seeing it in vivid, on vivid display with this, um, this, this aggression in Ukraine. It's a real problem. Let me just uh, kind of put it in a perspective. If Donald Trump had won re-election, would we be having this conversation today? No, of course not. No, because uh, Putin and, and Xi and China and, and all the rest, they they feared Donald Trump. They respected him because they knew that he was uh, he, he had a heavy hand, that he would not allow uh, th- this type of activity. America first has all sorts of implications. That policy prescription that Donald Trump uh, reintroduced. You know, just look at it just in the energy policy sector, for example, okay, which is a central uh, reason and focus for this Russian aggression. You know, when Donald Trump came in, he said, we're not just going to talk about energy independence anymore. We're going to talk about energy dominance. And we achieved that 
in a very short period of time, right after Donald Trump took office, you know, we became a net exporter of fossil fuels, oil and gas. And we're blessed in this nation with tremendous resources just beneath our feet. But then, you know, there's an abrupt change in policy when when President Biden took office in his first few weeks in office, he issued this, you know, flurry of uh, executive orders. And among those first orders were to completely reverse the Trump policies on energy. And so he shut down the Keystone Pipeline. He put a moratorium on federal exploration on, on lands and, and offshore off the coast of our state, Louisiana, and everywhere else. And so that has a direct effect of weakening us. Not only did it drive the price of energy up, gas, gasoline for all Americans, it also put us in a weakened position on the world stage because we had to get our demand met by going to Russia hat in hand and Saudi Arabia and asking them to supply our fossil fuel needs, oil and gas. And so that is one of the reasons that uh, Putin was empowered to do this. It's it's not just failed leadership on Biden's part. It's also his terrible, completely counterproductive policies that have got us into this mess. It was all avoidable, and that's the great tragedy of it. On the day Joe Biden was elected, on airline drive, I paid $2.65 a, 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 I'm sorry, $1.65 a gallon for gas. Yesterday at the same place, it was three twenty. Um, what what changed? In Louisiana, nothing changed. We're still producing oil. We still have all that oil and gas underneath us, does Texas and every other state. So what's changed other than Joe Biden being president instead of Donald Trump? Well, what changed is even though we still have producing wells, we have a whole lot less of them. The volume of domestic production of oil and gas has been uh, squeezed off because of these Biden policies. You know, when they put the moratorium on exploration and, and production on federal lands that cut off a huge part of our domestic uh, production and then when when they imposed their new policies effect effectively sanctioning the industry they basically declared war on the oil and gas industry out of this zeal to quote unquote save the environment which is all just a crazy don quixote quest which we could talk about on a whole other, other program but um, all, the effect of all that was to squelch domestic production. And so here's the great irony of it, Dan, is that when we, when, when Biden issued these executive orders, it did not change the demand level for fossil fuel in America. We didn't, everybody didn't stop driving their pickup trucks because a new guy you know, took the oath of office, right? If anything, the demand for fossil fuels was stabilized or has gone up. And so to meet the demand domestically, it meant then we had to go to our foreign adversaries like Russia and ask them to supply our needs, even though we have it just beneath our feet. Um, and, and so that puts us in a weakened position. And here's the great irony of it. Obviously, the oil and gas that's produced by Russia and Saudi Arabia and the others is not done in anywhere near as clean a manner as it is here. And so the great irony is their supposed uh, purpose in all these policies is to protect the environment. They're actually doing much more harm to the environment, even by their own calculations because of carbon emissions, et cetera, by getting the demand met overseas. And so that has emboldened Putin. It has filled his coffers full of cash, right? And those are American taxpayer dollars going and, and our, our time and treasure uh, going to, uh, to supply him and to hurt us, and it's crazy. U.S. had not bought a drop of oil from Russia in years. The month after Biden took office, we bought 6 million barrels, 7 million the next month, 8, and we're up to 9 million barrels a month from Vladimir Putin in Russia. And as of yesterday, it's reported he has a surplus in his oil kitty account of $900 billion 
with which he can fund this crazy Ukraine inversion or incursion or invasion, whatever Biden wants to call it, because he's getting it from us. He's getting the money to fund it by we're being forced to buy oil from him. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. And we were recently filling up our vehicle and on the uh, on the gas pump was one of those stickers everybody's seen where Joe Biden has this funny look on his face and he's pointing and it says, I did that. And they, they put the sticker right next to the <laughs> sticker shock, the price of that uh, filling up the tank. Well, we could pr- apply that sticker on the, the cover of these Russian policies as well. I mean, this is directly tied to failed leadership in the White House. And it, it, it would be a comical if the I mean, the, the, the comedy of errors would be would actually be humorous if it were not so deeply serious for us, for our future, for our security, our stability, and more immediately for innocent people and, you know, the nation of Ukraine. I mean, there are, there's a potential that you're going to lose many, many innocent lives over these ridiculous policy choices, and it is just completely unforgivable. From a legislative perspective, you're in the House, you're one of the Republican leaders in the House, your hands are kind of tied like every Republican is in the House of Representatives, even with Nancy Pelosi and that skinny, skinny little majority she has, she blocks everything. Is there anything, anything that the people's representatives can get done or get initiated to make sure we don't get into World War III because Joe Biden uh, is feckless and he can't stand up or won't stand up to Vladimir Putin? Well, there is. You know, we have been pushing aggressively in, in the House Republican Conference uh, to to demand action, to, to plea for action on, on Biden's part. I mean, for weeks, for months, you know, we've, all, we've seen this coming. Our intelligence community, of course, knew that this was going to happen way in advance. We were getting classified briefings on this two months ago, longer. And so we've been begging the administration to take appropriate action, to put sanctions on Russia immediately, to stop the Nord Stream pipeline, to, uh, it, it, to, to threaten, at least, sanctions on his financial institutions. I mean, there are many levers of power that we could use that the Biden administration refused to do. But as you point out, Dan, the problem is we're the minority party in Congress. And the way it works is that even though Nancy Pelosi has a razor-thin majority, she literally controls everything. And so our legislation has not been heard. Our demands have gone without any response. Um, we, we filed a bill um, just uh, yesterday. Uh, House Republicans introduced a bill that, uh, that is really just a, our, our last-ditch effort to stop Vladimir Putin's destabilizing aggression against Ukraine. It's called the Never Yielding Europe's Territory Act, and there's a whole bunch of Republicans co-sponsoring it. But basically it just – calls for the immediate real cost imposition of sanctions on Russia before and after an invasion. And it would be escalated uh, depending upon what his actions are. Now, again, we should have done this a long time ago, but here we are. And so uh, there, there's real live legislation filed in the House that could be heard by committee, could be passed by the, the full Congress, but uh, Nancy Pelosi will not allow it to be heard. And so, again, these are, these are dangerous political decisions they're making that have real world effects on everybody. Well, we heard yesterday about the Nord Stream 2, the certification of it. Germany said they're not going to certify it. That's a big deal, but that's not even pumping gas right now. There's really no pain yet for Putin because of Nord Stream 2. What about Nord Stream 1 that has been operational? Is there anything, any kind of real, real harm or hurt financially that we, the United States and our allies in Europe, can put on this guy 
Is there anything? Yeah, there, there, there is quite a bit. I mean, first of all, you know, when the German chancellor made those remarks uh, on Tuesday, I mean, that, look, that's better than nothing. But our policy in the U.S. needs to be to kill that pipeline now so it never becomes operational, not just delay it. We have to kill it. And unfortunately, the phrase, you know, he said, quote, under the present circumstances, I mean, you know, that appears to leave some wiggle room for Berlin, for Berlin. So we're, we're, we're a bit concerned about that. President Biden needs to remove his ill-advised sanctions waivers on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline right now. And, and, and after that, okay, beyond just Nord Stream 2, we can go after the Russian financial institutions, the big banks there. They're the ones that are partnering in all this, right? And the U.S. can wield huge power over that. I mean, we can impose our will on this so that other banks and other nations don't do business with them. We can shut Putin's economy down, at least a big chunk of it. I mean, about 30% of his GDP comes from um, from oil and gas, right? And so um, there, there are direct interventions, very specific steps that we can make right now that would make a huge difference in this, but it takes political will to do it, and President Biden doesn't have that. Knowing that it's probably not going to happen on Biden's watch, uh, is there any way we can just push this thing out? Because I think Putin, every day, he's watching what happens, the reactions to anything that he does or any speech that he gives. And when nothing happens, nobody stands up and, you know, takes him on. I think that just empowers him to just continue to move forward. He is a dictator. He wants more power. He wants all of Ukraine. I won't take up your time to give you the list of what Ukraine really brings to the table. Very few people realize how wealthy the nation of Ukraine is and what kind of resources it has. Putin wants that. And if somebody didn't step up and, and take the bully on, he's not going to stop at Ukraine. He's going to head west. He's going to go into Europe. He's a lustful guy that wants unlimited power to do anything and everything that he wants. Which brings this question up. Are we going to get in, involved in this thing militarily? Well, we certainly hope not. The American people don't want it. To be very frank, we can't afford that. We have a $30 trillion federal debt, and we don't want to risk American blood, time, and treasure over there. Um, you know, th- there are things that we can do short of boots on the ground. Um, you know, Ukraine has been asking for assistance for a long time for uh, more effective weapons uh, to counter Russian aggression. You know, it, th- the request fell on deaf ears. Um, there, there are things that we can do to supply uh, these these people there and 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 a lot of people you know conservatives some people in my camp argue that this is not an important concern of ours that we should just let it go but but the the central answer to that is what you were alluding to just a moment ago Dan look our adversaries across the world are emboldened by the Biden administration's appeasement approach to foreign policy okay it's not just about Vladimir Putin at this point it's also as I mentioned about China it's about Iran it's about North Korea, if we do not show a sign of strength here, it is going to be a critical error on our part. And the, the, the security and the safety of Americans here in our homeland will be in jeopardy. Okay, I mean, this is, this is the most serious uh, foreign policy, I think, uh, confrontation that we've had maybe since the, the Cold War in terms of a face-off with another major superpower. And um, th- if we do not meet this moment, we're in big trouble. There's a lot of people that have noted the parallel over the last couple of days between the Biden appeasement strategy here and, you know, Neville Chamberlain during World War II. If you had not had a, a decisive, bold leader like Churchill step up at the moment that he did, 
we may all be speaking German right now, right? I mean, th these are fateful decisions. We have a fateful election cycle coming up this fall for the country, for the control of the Congress. That'll be a first big step. But then, of course, the election of the, the next presidential cycle in 2024 could decide all the marbles. We just need to pray to God's mercy that we can, we can hold on that long and hold these tyrants at bay because this is a dangerous situation. I would have never thought we would have been here just a year into this presidency and really questioning, is there any way we can just survive to the next election? Because... You know, I mean, I never thought he could do the damage that he did, not in a year. I mean, just a few months, 90 days into his presidency, he had turned everything around and we were headed downhill really fast, threw away a lot of progress. There's no question about it. Say what you want to say negative about Donald Trump. I hated his messaging. I love him dearly beyond. I wish he could have softened his messaging, but let me tell you what somebody, uh, basically instructed me to understand most Americans resonate with his blue collar in your face messaging. And that did a lot of good. It made everybody understand and realize he's not just a bully who talks a game. He plays the game and we don't have any of that anymore. I, um, I want to circle back to that other topic. I know your time is limited. I don't want to keep you much longer. What we wanted to talk about originally when we first spoke was how this mess at our southern border, which is probably just as critical as the Ukraine-Russian thing, we have no border. Everything's wide open. There is no fence down there to keep anybody out. In fact, our president and all his minions, including Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, they just stand down by where the border was formally located and waving to everybody saying, y'all come on in. Mike, that's, that's illegal action. We have federal immigration laws that only you guys in Congress have authority to make, and the laws in place are supposed to be enforced by the executive branch of our government. What can be done to hold this president and anybody else that refuses to enforce the laws besides impeachment? Is there anything that can be done? That's a big question, right? I mean, just like the energy policy, when President Biden took office, he did exactly the opposite, reflexively almost. He did exactly the opposite of what Donald Trump had done and accomplished. And this border crisis is, in my view, the number one crisis right now um, because it is so many of our domestic problems are related to the open border policy of President Biden. Is he violating existing federal law? Absolutely. I've called for the resignation. We were even talking about uh, the, the impeachment of Mayorkas. As soon as we get the gavels of power back, I mean, it's a no-brainer. The guy is just intentionally thwarting federal law to all of our peril. You know, um, you're going to hear a lot about this uh, early next week. The president's um, State of the Union address is scheduled for Tuesday, and on Monday we're going to have a big uh, press conference, the House Republicans, and we're, there's a lot of things to talk about. Ukraine is a big thing, but we're going to draw a lot of attention to this border crisis to remind Americans that the president is, is uh, I think he is more than derelict in his duty. I think he is, for some reason, intentionally trying to challenge the sovereignty of our own country because that's what it is if you don't have a border that you can secure you have no sovereignty as a nation and and look all these problems rising crime in our cities um you've you got the fentanyl crisis you know drug overdoses 
are a number one crisis in the country right now. We had over 100,000 overdose deaths in 2021 alone, first time we ever crossed that line. The, most of this is related to illicit fentanyl that is coming across the border, manufactured in China, sent by the Mexican drug cartels into our country. They're making billions of dollars at our expense. The overdoses have become the leading cause of death for Americans 18 to 49, more than cancer, car wrecks, and COVID, okay? This thing, you cannot overstate what a great crisis this is. Millions of people have come into our nation illegally and been settled by the United States government, not 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 apprehended and sent back home or put on trial or anything. They are being sent and dispatched to cities around our country. My hometown of Shreveport, where you and I spend a lot of our time, right? Busloads of illegals from countries all over the world have been dropped off in our little town in North Louisiana over and over and over and over. Hundreds and hundreds of them just dropped off in our town by the federal government. Taxpayers are paying for this transport. I, look, we could go on all day, Dan. Don't get me started. This problem is something that must be addressed. And until we get the, the gavels back, until this red wave election cycle in November, the most frustrating thing is we literally have no power to do anything about it other than draw attention to it uh, until we can uh, take that back. You mentioned the deaths, the drug overdoses, fentanyl. They've actually, the nation of China has cut deals with the drug cartels in Mexico. They're shipping fentanyl there, and these guys are dis- distributing it across the United States, killing Americans. That's one thing. In two fiscal years, back-to-back, 600,000 felony acts against Texans occurred by illegal aliens. Everything all the way up to first-degree murder. It doesn't even make a blip on the D.C. radar screen for violent crime. I mean, when, when a state has no federal authority to do anything about enforcing its borders with a foreign nation, and the nation does nothing about it, I mean, to me, that's like suborning illegality, criminality at the highest level. I cannot imagine this happening in the United States of America, and we got to get it stopped. Somehow, we've got to get it stopped. Well, we have to, and just one one parenthetical note on that fentanyl. You know, fentanyl is uh, is a manufactured form of morphine that's much more potent. It's one of the most dangerous substances on the planet. Just enough of that drug to fit into the tip of a pencil is a lethal dose. So we've had tens of thousands of pounds of illicit fentanyl manufactured by China, trafficked by the drug cartels into the country that 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 we've just that we caught at the border over the last year and a half. Okay. That's not the stuff that's actually gotten in. We we've we've apprehended and and uh, contained enough of that to kill every man, woman and child in America eight times over. Okay. That that's that's what this means in real numbers and real terms. It is the scandal of of this uh, of this decade for certain and if we don't get on top of it, as I said, what's what's at issue here is more than our security. It's actually the sovereignty that we have as a nation. We cannot be a superpower if we cannot man- maintain our own borders, and that's what's at stake. Congressman Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District, Louisiana. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. We love having you in our corner, and we just can't wait until you guys can get something done on all these levels and many, many others. We need some real leadership there. Absolutely. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for your platform. Have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. Congressman Mike Johnson, one of our favorites, comes by pretty regularly, and he's got the inside skinny. He's one of the top leaders in the Republican Party in the United States House of Representatives, 
and uh, we're going to get him back. I want to I want to let him talk more about this mess at the southern border because it's right up his alley. He's a constitutional attorney, and uh, he's weighed in in a lot of ways, but legally as well, arguing cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Anyway. There's a lot more stuff going on, and we've got news coming from Ukraine this morning. We have news coming from Washington, D.C. I know that shocks you. We're going to get into it right after this break. We'll be back and start peeling the onion layers here at TNN Live. Don't go away. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied. The flavor is decadent. The touch, divine. And the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. I guess the big thing about Mike Johnson, Congressman Johnson coming on board when he does is he gives us information that forces us to really ask more questions, go seek some more answers. It doesn't matter what you know up there, folks. It's what you get done. And I hate to say it, but when you don't have the power of the majority in the House of Representatives, it's really tough to get anything done. Because you're at the behest of whoever the House Speaker is. Currently, of course, that's Nancy Pelosi. And she doesn't want to get anything done regarding the rule of law and that U.S. Constitution thing, you know. They're always driven by one thing and one thing only. And that's a political narrative, a process that always is built around increasing their hold over the American people. And how do you do that? You get it 
millions of people in the United States that are coming here illegally, but you're going to find a way at some point to get them legal and get them the right to vote. That way you can create a permanent majority because you'll always be able to tell these illegals that come in, hey, the only reason you're here is because we fixed the system to make it okay. So you owe us. I tell you, that's backfiring in a large way against the Democrat Party. Have you heard what's going on among Latinos? Hispanics here in the United States, they're turning against the Democrat Party in every state. And I guess the reason why is they're looking around, and I'm talking about primarily Hispanic people that have come here legally. They've immigrated through the legal process, coming here to get permanent status and hopefully to get citizenship by working in the system. And they see these people that Biden and Mayorkas are waving in. They see them as a threat to their way of life that they've worked so hard for diligently and done it the right way. And they've got families established here. They've got good jobs. They're doing really well. And they came the right way. That's what Democrats either don't understand or they don't care about. All that matters is getting people here. The numbers of the support of Hispanics for Democrats, it's dropped almost 50% during the last year. What's happened in the last year? Well, Joe Biden's first year as president. And they're watching how he is destroying the infrastructure that they fought and died to come here to get going through a legal process. And they see Joe Biden tearing it up. More illegals that come here, folks, these are primarily blue-collar workers. They're going to take jobs away from members of minority parties, African-American, Hispanic, Asian. Why? Because they work so cheap. And the Democrat Party are supposed to be the folks that guard the blue-collar America, working-class people, like these Hispanics. And they're seeing that party fail them over and over and over again. Now, if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, you say, yeah, y'all just keep that up. Folks, we don't want our nation to be under attack. We don't want our nation to slide back into mediocrity. We don't want to go there. What's changed in the last year? The only major change that has happened came because of one thing and one thing only. Democrat rule. The White House, the U.S. Senate, and the House of Representatives. That has instigated all of this. And the only way that can be changed, first of all, elections are coming up in November. We've all got to vote. We've got to vote our, our conscience. We've got to vote the reality and the facts that are around us. But that's just a little bitty part of it. What else do we have to do? We have to make sure those elections are fair. We have to make sure that there's nobody out there of any party that's putting their thumb on the scale of freedom and justice in our elections and changing it, tweaking it a little bit. Oh, we've always known there's been election fraud, but it is so tiny and so minuscule, it would have never changed the results of the 2020 election. If I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times. 
So how many illegal votes is okay? I mean, what's the number? What's the percentage? If you're an American, you're a registered voter, you want your vote to count every time. And when somebody throws a bunch of absentee ballots up on the counting table to be counted, and there may be 20 or 30 votes, what does that do? Well, that negates 20 or 30 votes that were legally cast. How many illegal fraudulent votes are okay with me? Not a single one. Not a single one. And I want anybody and everybody that cheats in voting. I don't care if it's just in the counting process or if it's in ballot harvesting or if it's cheating and fraudulently forging signatures and stuff on mail-in ballots. I want every one of those people to be held accountable and it's got to stop, folks, or we'll lose the nation. Do you realize how close we are to what I just said happening? We're going to lose the nation? That doesn't happen in one fell swoop. But I think if you look at the last year, you can see how quickly it can happen and how quickly it probably will happen if we don't step in and say, enough's enough. Stop it. Stop it. Mike Johnson, he intimated that he is a Shreveport, Louisiana native. I happen to be sitting in my studio in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I'm not a native. I was actually born in a suburb of Texas in Houston, a suburb of Houston, Pasadena. My family moved to South Louisiana when I was four. I've been in Louisiana the rest of my life, raised a family, loved Louisiana, loved Northwest Louisiana. Being from South Louisiana, I have that culture, Cajun culture, and I love the state. I want it to do well. And I look around the nation at my fellow citizens. I have friends business associates in all 50 states. We all want the same thing. But folks, you can't just sit back and fold your arms and hope that everything works out okay. The United States of America is a representative republic, which means we the people are the bosses, but the bosses have to put the right people in the right places to make the right decisions to make this thing click. And if we don't do that, there's going to be somebody else that's going to fill the gap that we left. And they may not do it the right way, the moral way, or the legal way. We have that responsibility to do our work, to do our job. And as American citizens, that starts with voting. It starts with ensuring the voting election processes at the state level. If we do it at every level, in every state, we're going to be fine. I don't want to ever lose an election. I want my candidates to win every election. But I'm just one voice. You're just one voice. We just need to make sure all of our voices are heard and our votes count every time. And they're not being replaced by one or two or three or four or a hundred or a thousand or a million illegal votes that somebody fraudulently just pushed in front of ours. If we don't do that, all I can say is I'm looking at the heavens and praying for Jesus to come and taking us out of here because it's going to be hell on earth. No exception. Hell on earth. 
So in the middle of all of this Ukraine thing, and Vladimir Putin and Russia and all that, you know Donald Trump, people forget he was the president for four years. That meant he dealt with a lot of foreign policy issues during those four years. He dealt with a lot of foreign leaders during those four years. As a matter of fact, he dealt with every leader that Joe Biden is dealing with. There obviously are some stark differences. So yesterday, former President Trump, in a conversation, he weighed in on this Vladimir Putin-Ukraine thing. Trump said this, I knew that Putin always wanted Ukraine. Now, this was in an interview with radio host Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Trump said, I used to talk to him about it. He recalled that he understood Putin, but said he wouldn't allow him to invade his neighboring country. Now, the president of the United States, then it was Donald Trump. He actually did say, it's been confirmed by people that were party to those conversations. He told Putin, you can't have Ukraine. You can't do it. You're not going to do it, Trump said to him. But I could see that he wanted it. I used to ask him. We used to talk about it at length. Trump flattered Putin, recalling he got along with him great. Trump said he liked me and I liked him. I mean, you know, he's a tough cookie. Got a lot of the great charm and a lot of pride, he said. But the way he and he loves his country, you know, he loves his country. Trump spoke about Putin after Putin recognized those two regions in Ukraine as independent, sending a bunch more Russian troopers and equipment into the region to act as peacekeepers. I said, how smart is that, Trump said, recalling when he saw the news about Putin's actions. He's going to go in and be a peacekeeper? That's the strongest peace force we could use that on our southern border. That's the strongest peace force I've ever seen. Trump claimed that Putin would not have acted in Ukraine if Trump was still the president. Had I been in office, he said, not even thinkable. This would have never happened. But he added, you got to say, that's pretty savvy. You know, one thing about Donald Trump that amazed me, I'm an entrepreneur, a business founder, a business owner. And so that means I understand through 29 years with this one company I started, I understand the moving parts and I understand the different pieces of running a a business, uh, maybe a a country. It's pretty much the same thing, just a bigger, smaller version of the same thing. You got to have the right people in place. You got to have the ability to make the right decisions based on the factual things that make that nation and business run and click. Trump has that. Joe Biden Bob Gates, former CIA director, Secretary of Defense, he was a friend of Joe Biden and Biden's 40-plus years in the U.S. Senate. And Gates said this before Biden even was running for president this time around. He said Joe Biden, in every foreign policy issue that he's made a decision over 40 years, every decision he made was the wrong decision. And it begins with this. Joe Biden has no private sector knowledge, experience in any way. Everything is from a political perspective. And folks, the world does not hang on 
living breathlessly moment to moment upon a political thought or an ideal or an election or a campaign. That's not life as people know it. That's life as politicians know it. But Trump was never a politician until he ran for president. He knew it from the business side. Trump ridiculed Joe Biden for failing to react immediately to Putin's move into Ukraine. You know what the response was from Biden? There was no response, he said. They didn't have one for that. It's very sad, very sad, he said. And of course, what happened yesterday, and we really didn't have the time to get into it with Congressman Johnson a few minutes ago. I was going to talk to him specifically about that first tranche of sanctions that Joe Biden announced yesterday, economic sanctions to punish Russia. Yeah, it's going to hurt. But you know, economic sanctions right now, they mean a little bit differently than they would have meant for Vladimir Putin before... um, Joe Biden became president. Just that one thing alone, the sale of oil and the money, the extra money that Vladimir Putin has in his pocket because of that, he has an extra $900 billion. The only thing that changed was the price of oil. (laughs) They're, They're charging more for Russian oil. They're charging us more. We never bought a drop of Russian oil for many, 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 many years until Joe Biden, a month after he was inaugurated. Six billion barrels, seven billion, eight billion, nine billion every month we're buying from Vladimir Putin. And he's just putting our taxpayer dollars into his pocket, building a war chest. This is the most ridiculous thing, and it was predictable. And yet this president is so feckless, he either didn't see it, nobody around him was giving him that information, or he was too inept, whatever inept this is for Joe Biden, to even understand it. But that $900 that Vladimir Putin has that he's going to use against us, spending it doing bad stuff to Ukraine and messing with us and charging us more for all that we now have to buy from him because Joe Biden shut ours down. This is the definition of insanity. The guy who lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and I don't care who it is, supposed to be, if not the smartest person on the planet, one of the top two or three. Joe Biden, smart? (laughs) I'm sorry. He's probably the most feckless person to serve in the White House since Jimmy Carter. And folks, Carter took us down an even worse road than the one Biden's got us on now. If Biden keeps trucking the way he's trucking, he's going to put Jimmy Carter in his rearview mirror, and he's going to win that war of ineptitude. Oh my gosh, they're struggling to keep that title. And then this comes out of the White House yesterday. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yesterday, Jen Psaki, the mouthpiece for everything in the Biden administration, said that we Americans, we can expect higher energy prices as a result of Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and those sanctions 
that we're levying against him. We're going to put sanctions on him, so we got to play more for our oil. That just makes great sense to me, doesn't it? Yesterday, Jen Psaki was asked whether Americans should expect higher gas prices, and she said, yeah, energy prices, exactly. That's what we want the American public to be aware is a possibility, she added. Deputy National Security Advisor for International Economic Dalip Singh expressed some optimism that gas prices will decline over time. No science to back that up, just making a statement. You know why? He just wanted to make us all feel a little bit better. He said there are actions energy-consuming nations can take with their strategic reserves. There are actions energy producers can take in terms of their spare capacity. I'm not going to give you a timeline, he said, but the collective power of those actions and all the other tools and authorities at our disposal will be effective in bringing down the price of gas and the price of oil. Now, let me ask you this. If there's something out there like that, that Mr. Singh said, you know, we, we, we've got collective power of those actions and all the other tools and authorities at our disposal will be effective in bringing down the price of gas and the price of oil. Novel question. Nobody, of course, asked him this. If I was sitting there, I would have raised my hand and said, ooh, 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 Mr. Singh, Mr. Singh, why aren't we using those tools right now? Why are we waiting to get to $5 a gas gallon at the pump for Americans? Why don't we go ahead and be a little preemptive on this? If you've got all those tools and you know they're going to work, novel idea. Implement the tools. Make it work. Help us out here, Bubba. Of course, nobody asked that question. And then you have Hillary Clinton's running mate, former Maryland Governor Tim Kaine, I'm sorry, Virginia, Tim Kaine. He's got an answer for it. Oh, he's pointing across the aisle and the evil ones and all of this. Oh, we, we can't call Vladimir Putin an evil guy. We've got to talk to those and about those Republicans. He said yesterday that the upcoming vote in Congress about those sanctions that Joe Biden mentioned yesterday... The voting will expose if Republican lawmakers are appeasers of Russian President Vladimir Putin. So this was on MSNBC's All In. Guest host yesterday was Alex Wagner. And he said, President Trump's comments today calling Putin's moves genius probably haven't helped anything. You are really convinced that next week when you guys are back in session... Republicans are going to play ball with Democrats and effectively work to further the Biden foreign policy agenda, the national security agenda? That's a great question. And then Tim Kaine, he just opened his mouth and showed why he was not a worthy running mate for Hillary Clinton. He said, yes, I think there will be some who will follow Donald Trump. Donald Trump calling Putin's move a genius move, a savvy move. You, you, you know, he couldn't get a Nobel Prize, so maybe he's trying now for the Order of Lenin, or even better, finally, a Trump Tower in Moscow. But 
we will put our Republican colleagues on the board and see whether they're Vladimir Putin appeasers or they're standing up for the Western democracies. I believe that enough Republicans will stand against Vladimir Putin's aggression that we will be able to coalesce around those sanctioned packages. Again, he said, I think Democrats and Republicans agree over what the package should be. The question was, which should trigger it? There is no disputing now that the Russian recognition of Donetsk and Luhansk and moving in military assets in Ukraine, the trigger has been passed in Western democracies led by the United States have to stand up against it. All of what you just heard, I quoted Tim Kaine, is nothing more than gobbledygook. It means absolutely nothing. Folks, the sanctions that Joe Biden is putting on out there, did you hear what they were? They're going to put sanctions on Russia's two biggest banks. They're going to stop them from having foreign access for money to finance their war. That's number one. Number two, he handpicked about six different Russian oligarchs and he's sanctioning those people in their foreign financial transactions. Do you think for one second that that's going to stop Vladimir Putin? Senator Tim Kaine at the beginning of this He didn't talk about the effectiveness or the ineffectiveness of anything the United States can do or Joe Biden announced he was going to do. He went straight for the jugular to Donald Trump. These idiots on the left side of the aisle, and most of them, folks, are blithering, blathering idiots. They think that we can't look back a couple of years Do you know that Vladimir Putin didn't do anything evil, didn't do anything bad internationally at all during the four years that Trump was in the White House? And now look at what he's doing. He's invaded Ukraine already. He remembered. He remembered eight years ago when he invaded Ukraine. Who was at the top of the heap over here? Donald Trump was building buildings in New York City then. It wasn't him. It was Joe Biden and Barack Obama. You remember the Ukrainian people reached out to our country. They needed military assistance because Vladimir Putin was about to invade Ukraine. And they specifically said, we need some of those Stinger missiles that are so good at blowing up Russian tanks. And so Joe and Barack, they put their heads together. And you know what they sent? Listen to this. This is the totality of what they sent to arm Ukraine to fight against an invading Russian force in Crimea. Blankets. They sent blankets and nothing more. And of course, what happened? Those tanks rolled into Crimea, and Crimea now belongs to Russia. And here's another Obama-Biden person running the country again, and Vladimir Putin, he sees Donald Trump's gone. Trump wouldn't let us get one foot in Ukraine. 
if he was in the White House. He would threaten me, Vladimir, and I'm speaking for Vladimir Putin. He'd threaten me, and I would believe his threats, so I'd wait till he was going to leave office again. I know if he comes back a second time, he's only got four more years, so we'll just tread water till he's gone again. Maybe they'll get another Democrat that's feckless and inept like Joe Biden and like Barack Obama was. All you got to do, folks, is open your eyes and look at the facts. Stop listening to the political thuggery from either side of the aisle. It's all, almost every bit of it, is for a cause, for a purpose. And the purpose, sadly, is not always about what's best for the American people. A lot of the time, it's what's best for the politicians, not the people. Wow. The end of that conversation with Congressman Mike Johnson, we talked about our southern border. If you even thought it could possibly get worse than it is, it's worse today than it was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm going to say something, and I don't know this as an absolute fact, but I would almost bet a buttload full of money if I was a betting wagering man. The Joe Biden, he went, thank God for Ukraine coming up. It takes the attention of the American people away from our southern border. And it's bad down there, folks. It's bad. And sadly, it doesn't just impact those people along our southern border. I mentioned to Congressman Johnson about the 600,000 felony acts committed against just Texans in two years by illegal immigrants. 600,000. And that included murders, rape, all kinds of other felony crimes. Joe Biden does nothing. Alejandro Mayorkas even does worse. He doesn't prosecute or hold anybody accountable for breaking those immigration laws coming in. He waves them on in. Y'all come on in. We're going to make it perfectly okay for you. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan, spin-free news from the world. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle... Snuggle... I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more... 
Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. House and Democrats in the Senate. They're on suicide watch, folks, as Biden is on pace to break his very own illegal immigration records. In 2021, Biden set new records for illegal immigration by enticing more than 2 million border crossers and illegal aliens to take the often deadly journey through Mexico to our southern border in the hopes of being released into the U.S. interior. Stephen Coppitz with Princeton Policy Advisors accurately predicted last year's numbers, that immigration level under Biden. The trend is clearly headed in the wrong direction, he says, about this year. Now, based on just last month's illegal immigration levels, Coppitz is projecting Biden will break his own record, said last year. This year, drumroll, 2.1 million border crossers and illegal aliens coming to the U.S.-Mexico border. Coppitz writes this, our forecast of a record 2.1 million apprehensions for fiscal and calendar year 2022 remains unchanged. Democrats should put themselves on suicide watch, and indeed they are, with the number of House Democrats not seeking re-election this year at a 30-year high. The latest numbers show the rate at which Biden's top agency officials are releasing border crossers and illegals into the U.S. interior. In the month of January, Homeland Security released into the U.S. interior, one month, folks, 62,500 border crossers and illegals, a foreign population more than twice the size of Princeton, New Jersey, nearly twice the size of Lexington, Massachusetts, and more than six times the size of Jackson, Wyoming. What is happening at the southern border It has no precedence in American history. We've never seen that before. President Biden has abandoned his core responsibility to ensure the integrity of our nation's borders. Period. And Joe Biden, obviously, very happy that Ukraine and Russia are in the news, dominating the news now. He can put a couple of bad stories behind him. His horrible withdrawal out of Afghanistan, number one, Number two, COVID, COVID, COVID. All of his ineptness that just created even more mass chaos about our healthcare system. And then there's the southern border invasion. And yes, we've got Russia going into Ukraine, invading Ukraine, and we have illegals from over a hundred different countries from around the world. Over a hundred different countries, people from those countries are being caught coming across our southern border. It's a shame when a president has to pray for another big controversial thing to hit the news, hoping that Americans will forget about the bad job he's doing in other areas. I know his his numbers. We haven't looked at uh, Rasmussen approval numbers. We're going to do that real quickly while I'm thinking about it. Let's go to Rasmussen and see what the latest daily tracking for acceptance of this president are. 
Let's see. Where are the numbers? Daily tracking poll. Let's see. 45% of voters approve of Biden's job performance. 55% disapprove. Those numbers include 22% who strongly approve. Only 22%. That's a, that's a hard dropper. 47% strongly disapprove. And so that gives him a presidential approval index rating of minus 25. Now, how does that fit in looking at other presidents? I just got to tell you, this is the worst in a long, long time. Long, long time. And especially the worst for a Democrat. Democrats always seem to get uh, the following of uh, registered Democrats a lot easier than Republican Presidents can get the benign support of Republicans that are registered voters. Conservatives are a little more in tune with the stuff going on out there, and that's not a negative, folks. That is a fact. In any rate, he's not doing a good job, and the American public know that he's not doing a good job. But what he did was, you know, our borders are, our southern borders are, Vice President Kamala Harris Well, she cleaned everything up down there, didn't she? Did a great job. So he sent her to Europe to take on this Russia-Ukraine conflict. Wow. Man, she went over there and she straightened everybody out. I don't know why he didn't send her to Moscow to meet with old Vlad. Biden can't do anything with Vladimir. Maybe, Maybe Kamala Harris could. I don't know. But boy, she came out and she set everybody straight on what's going on over there. Did you hear this? Uh, Thank you. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about how the U.S. would get out of this potential conflict with Russia? What is the end game? How does the U.S., after imposing some of these sanctions and possible military action, how does the U.S. disentangle from this? I would characterize it differently. Um, We don't consider ourselves to be entangled, um, but we're very clear of our principles and our purpose which is to be aligned with our allies, understanding that, I mean, listen, guys, we're talking about the potential for war in Europe. I mean, let's really take a moment to understand the significance of what we're talking about. It's been over 70 years. And through those 70 years, as I mentioned yesterday, there has been peace and security. We are talking about the real possibility of war in Europe. So our position is for us very clear, which is as a leader, which we have been bringing together the allies, working together around our collective and unified position, that we would all not just prefer, we desire, we believe. It is in the best interest of all that there is a diplomatic end to this moment. And so where do we want this to end? That is where we want it to end. What should Americans uh, be braced for? What could they possibly be facing? The president has already said Americans will be facing some economic fallout or some hardships. Can you explain to Americans what exactly will they face if if this happens? Sure. As the president talked about in his speech, um, we are aware that, again, when America stands for her principles and all of the things that we hold dear, it requires sometimes for, for us to put ourselves out there in a way that maybe we will incur some cost. And in this situation, 
um, that may relate to energy costs, for example. But we are taking very specific and appropriate, I believe, steps to mitigate what that cost might be if it happens. It requires sometimes for, for us to put ourselves out there in a way that maybe we will incur some cost. Just maybe, just maybe we're going to incur some cost. Oh, that was such a deep little speech and answer Q&A thing that she gave there. Unfortunately, her facts were wrong. I couldn't believe she said what she said. It was like this. Do you realize we could be facing a war in Europe? That hasn't happened in 70 years. OMG. I mean, we could be facing a real war in Europe for the first time in 70 years. Um, Kamala, did you know that uh, Russia invaded Crimea? Um, that European country, uh, when Joe and Barack Obama were in office. <laughs> oh, and by the way, have you ever heard of Bosnia? <laughs> and what happened in Bosnia? And that was like 25 years ago. There's been a bunch of stuff happening in 70 years. I don't know who threw that number out there for her or if she just grabbed one out of the air thinking, hey, nobody listening is smart like me. They won't catch that. That's the vice president of the United States that is just one heartbeat away from being the president of the United States. And she's in Europe. You would think somebody would give her, you know, a primer, something while she's on Air Force Two flying over there. She could kind of catch up on a little history about where she's going so she wouldn't look like a total idiot. And you know what's saddest of all that? Somebody probably did give her that stuff and she didn't even read it or pay attention to it. Oh, my gosh. This administration is beyond the pale. I just cannot put my arms around it and come up with any kind of plausible explanation for all this stuff that's going on. I mean, we have a president that has cognitive disability on a major scale. We have a vice president that certainly isn't qualified to be vice president, certainly beyond that is not qualified to be the president of the United States. But the sad thing was, she was a senator, a U.S. senator from California before she was appointed or picked to run on the ticket with Joe Biden. And before that was the attorney general of the state of California. No wonder California is in such a mess from top to bottom. And these are the two people at the top in the United States of America. That is scary. So let's get into um, let's get into some other stuff. We got a lot of stuff going on. And we get concentrated on one thing or another thing and we forget about all of the other little things out there. But folks, right now we are looking at a very nasty scenario regarding racism, equity, equality around the nation. And it's just 
growing and growing and growing and nobody's taking it serious enough to do something about it and step out and say, look, we got to sit down. We got to get people from every side to sit down and let's start reasoning together, not screaming across tables at each other, but reasoning together to try to get to some kind of consensus that we can say, hey, we've done it for 260 years, we've gotten along, we've had problems, we've had issues, racism, inequality has been around there, it is better than it was, but we need to work together to make it better. And working together is the critical key of this. If we don't work together, we'll never make it work out. Racism, equity, they become not so much a buzz, but turned into a battle cry almost. But you only need to look at the stark differences in the treatment of people like Black Lives Matter rioters and the events of January 6, 2021. Two specific things. Black Lives Matter had a slate of riots, burning lootings or whatever that they instigated and they were part of. Remember George Floyd when that incident happened and the the months after that? That was BLM stuff. And then compare that to the January 6, 2021 incursion Uh, insurrection, whatever you want to call it, that happened at the Capitol. And if you put those two in context and just realize that happened here in the United States of America, those should disturb us. Our courts and the liberal media, they're using those incidents to ramp up exacerbating racism. And folks, this is in a country that has struggled for decades And we'd made great strides in wiping the ugly ideology of racism from its collective conscious. Miranda Devine, one of my heroes in journalism, she's a writer for the New York Post. In an editorial, she details example after example of biased narratives and legal actions that illustrate plainly the privileged or conversely demonizing treatment of U.S. citizens based on their, not their skin color, but their political ideology. When prominent young far-left activist Quintez Brown, he was arrested last week for trying to assassinate a Jewish mayoral candidate in Kentucky. When that happened, he was portrayed in the media sympathetically and immediately was bailed out of jail by his Black Lives Matter comrades. They crowdfunded and got $100,000 in cash raised to bail him out of jail. So where does that fit in for privilege? Well, Miranda Devine says, Brown, age 21, he has privilege. Black Lives Matter privilege, and they ponied up a hundred grand. Think about that. A celebrated gun control advocate, anointed as a rising star by the Obama Foundation. And also, by the way, he was an honored guest on Joy Reid's MSNBC show. He was granted a bi-weekly opinion column in the Louisville Courier-Journal to spew boilerplate leftist race-based anti-cop sentiment. So, it gets even worse. Think about this. Go fund me. GoFundMe. Remember what happened to the Freedom Convoy up in Canada? Folks were voluntarily putting money 
GoFundMe helping those truckers out up there and GoFundMe shut them down. But they allowed the donations, the Black Lives Matter donations, to let this terrorist, this guy that wanted to murder a mayoral candidate just because that mayoral candidate is a Jew. Nonviolent, unarmed January Sixers, many of them can't even get bail right now, a year plus later. And they're called domestic terrorists. They're banned from crowdfunding resources to pay their crippling legal expenses. Nonviolent Canadian truckers, also vilified, refuse crowdfunding have their bank accounts frozen and their small fry donors doxxed. Any discrepancy in treatment there that pops out to you? It's clear. It's clear that Democrats enjoy a level of protection that conservatives are seldom, if ever, afforded. Nobody doxxed the donors of Black Lives Matter's Louisville Community Bail Fund like they did the people who donated to the Canadian truckers or even to Kyle Rittenhouse. The Washington Post didn't go phoning Black Lives Matter donors asking them to explain themselves like they did to the truck donors. You know, Washington Post did that. They got a list of who donated. They went on the phone call saying, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Just really talking down to those people. Instead, the official narrative about this would-be killer, Brown, was immediately shaped in his favor. He was depicted as a social justice activist with mental health issues, and blame for the shooting was initially attributed on social media. Here we go. White supremacist. This is really happening in America today. The media, they're shameless in their spin to shape a narrative. The Las Vegas Sun slyly published an editorial saying, quote, the shooting comes amid a rise in threats against politicians fueled by increasingly violent rhetoric coming from extremist Republicans, she wrote. The editorial later was edited to include Brown's BLM links, but the slander against Republicans, they left it in the story. Divine goes on to show how the events of January 6th were painted as the worst attack on American democracy since the Civil War, while the far more violent and 1,300 times more costly 2020 BLM rioters were given a pass, weren't even mentioned. Unlike the piecemeal legal treatment of the BLM riots, the criminal investigation into the Capitol riot is the largest in U.S. history and the most costly to you and I, taxpayers. While all of what Devine is writing about, it's irrefutably true. The bigger issue is the toll that this racially divisive treatment is taking on the American psyche, our minds. Years of being called racist neo-Nazis tends to have an effect on you. <laughs> particularly on those who genuinely wouldn't even consider judging a situation or a person based on the color of the skin of the people that are involved. You just cannot bombard decent people with blanket accusations 
of hateful deeds and not expect an emotional, anger-fueled response. We're humans, folks. When you look at me, for those of you that know me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a skinhead. I'm bald, but I'm not a skinhead. I do wear a full beard, and I have an earring in my left ear that I got on my birthday in 2002 in Montreal, Canada. I'm not a racist. I'm not a Nazi. I have African-American relatives in my family. My life shows that I'm not racist. But there are people out there that all they do is just look at me. Bam. (laughs) This guy's got to be a white supremacist. Those very types of responses, then they get twisted into so-called examples of systemic racism that the left continues to claim has infiltrated our nation. It's a no-win situation for all Americans. Who, in the overwhelming majority, I will say, would rather heed the words of Dr. Martin Luther King and base our judgment on people's characters, not on their skin color? Novel idea. Why don't we all get to doing that and just give everybody the benefit of the doubt? Forget what their skin color is. That's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? And I mean, to be quite honest with you, if we would do that, we'd have a whole lot less rancor going on. We'd have a whole lot less violence and a whole lot less anger and hatred. It wouldn't take a lot of it either. And it doesn't matter how many how many times that somebody like me says something like that, or Miranda Devine, how many columns she writes in the New York Post talking about that, until people make decisions to say, regardless of the flack I get from anybody regarding political commentary, opinions, or any of those kind of things, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. If just half the people in the nation would do that, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, can you imagine how much more peaceful this nation would be, how crime would be changed automatically, would drop precipitously, good stuff would begin to happen in great, great, great numbers and volumes, and we would see people smiling that hadn't smiled in decades because they'd feel better about themselves and everybody around them. People are scared to death now. I mean, somebody honks at you on the road and your automatic response is usually to reach over and hit your horn. But now you think twice about doing that because you're afraid. You don't know if that person might pull up beside you and pull a gun and shoot you. That happens daily around the nation. There's a lot to be fearful of. But it doesn't have to be that way. We choose that. And our leaders are instigating that and making it a simpler, more comprehensive thing to do. To choose that because whatever actions are taken, people aren't being held accountable for those actions. And when there's no accountability, it doesn't cost anything to do whatever it is you want to do. So just fly by the seat of your pants. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. 
Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Love is the name of it. That's Basha Tekaluska, I believe is her last name, something like that. She's Czechoslovakian. Anyway, it's a great sound. Well, I guess you heard they uh, they really came down hard up in Canada, in Ottawa, taking those um, evil truckers that were protesting peacefully, that were really destroying the democracy of Canada. They told us up there peaceably standing out singing Canada's national anthem. Not a single incident of violence other than that perpetrated by the Canadian police arresting and grabbing all those truckers and forcing them to leave and throwing a bunch of them in jail. The only violence that happened up there was perpetrated by the Canadian authorities, not by the truckers. That's a big story. We could spend all day on that. I guess maybe you heard that the organizer of that convoy, Freedom Convoy, Tamara Litch, has been denied bail by a Canadian judge, claimed that Litch was, would be abide by bail conditions and go home. They felt like she would start another Freedom Convoy somewhere else, so they, they're not giving her any bail. She's still in jail. She was charged with several offenses relating to mischief, and was denied bail. This community has already been impacted enough by some of the criminal activity and blockade you took part in, and even led, the judge said. You've had plenty of opportunity to remove yourself and even others from this criminal activity, but chose not to and persistently counseled others not to either. In Canada, every citizen can certainly disagree with and protest against government decisions But it needs to be done in a democratic fashion, in abidance with the laws that have been established democratically, the judge said. And 
The judge claimed that she found Leach obstructive. That's interesting. The judge went on to note that Leach may face a large prison sentence if convicted on the charges against her, which include counseling to commit mischief. Litch is expected back in court Monday next week. Litch, who also claimed her bank account has been frozen prior to arrest, is not the only Freedom Convoy organizer to be arrested by police last week. Organizer Chris Barber was also arrested but was granted bail the next day on the condition that he left the city of Ottawa within 24 hours of his release. The arrest of the organizers came after Prime Minister Justin Littleboy Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act for the first time in Canadian history, and he did it to clear the protest against Wuhan coronavirus restrictions, vaccine mandates, and vaccine passports in downtown Ottawa last week. Wow. So they busted it up. And there's so much horror in the wings waiting to be foisted on Canada. Trudeau went to the parliament and they renewed his emergency system that gives him the power to do anything and everything that he wants to do without going to parliament to ask for permission. An open end. He's devouring this power that he has gotten over the Canadian people. Do you think anybody else around the world is watching that looked in in Canada and said, you know, these people are peacefully protesting? That's that's not the United States. They don't operate by our laws or our Constitution. By the way, our Constitution gives anybody and everybody the right to protest peaceably. That's what the First Amendment calls it. Protest peaceably. I wonder why our forefathers left it out there. That's such a subjective term, peaceably. Who gets to define what peaceably is? In the case of Canada, of course, they don't have the same constitution, but it would be whatever Justin Trudeau said was peaceable. And of course, that freedom convoy, they weren't peaceable at all. So yeah, we took them to task. Well, I guess here in America... We need to get ready ourselves for something like that. Right now, a 38,000 trucker convoy is being put together to head for Washington, D.C. from Los Angeles to protest our pandemic mandates just in time for President Biden's State of the Union address on March 1st. Think about it. We got us a convoy about to get underway. A prayer circle assembled nearby a collection of big rigs praying for safe travels come Wednesday and protection. The group was in Adelanto, California, forming a day ahead of the departure of the People's Convoy, a cross-country trucker trip heading from California to Washington, D.C. to demonstrate their interest and a national emergency declaration for COVID-19. This is a movement of the people of the United States of America. Two men, a trucker driver and a passenger heading en route on the convoy, spoke to their concerns on what drives them to be a part of the convoy. Truckers are tired of all the mandates. Not to mention the price of fuel for these truck drivers. Look, I mean, come on, guys. 
California loans over five something a gallon. Truckers can't afford that. And then there was Ron Coleman from Reno who bristled when asked if the convoy will shut down Washington when it arrives. You know, that's not part of the goal. There are, there are going to be entities to say, let's lock it down. But that's not the goal. The goal is to bring the American people to, the, to being awake. For them to question their politicians. Another concern, the potential of violence in the Capitol. This is 100%. 150% a peaceful level of uh, First Amendment right of assembly, peaceful assembly. We advocate zero violence. The Review Journal will be covering the convoy as it makes its first stop in Kingman, Arizona. For the Las Vegas Review Journal, I'm James Schaefer. It's going to be interesting to see how officials, especially after the January 6, 2021 incident at the Capitol, how are D.C. officials, how are the Capitol Police, how are they all getting ready to handle this thing? Because 38,000 big rigs, folks, that's a whole lot of trucks. And if you are familiar at all with Washington, D.C., traffic is always a major concern there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, they've got one of the sharpest mayors in the nation there, Muriel Bauer. And I'm being facetious when I say that. So you can bet that she's licking her chops to take these truckers on. She looks at them all. I guarantee you, top of mind, they're all white supremacists. They're coming up here to do the same thing those white supremacists did January 6th a year ago. And we're going to get ready for them. And she's already started getting ready for them. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser accused of overreacting after calling in over 700 National Guard members to control the potential trucker protests who are expected to coincide with next week's State of the Union address. Right now, the so-called People's Convoy is gearing up to leave California and head cross-country to the nation's capital. We are watching them get ready. They are going to be leaving California, Patrice, going to Ohio, and then D.C., they're protesting the vaccine mandates, but as far as I can see, they have not been, uh, you know, in any way violent. They've been pretty calm and peaceful protesting. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I've watched some of these interviews with people who are just regular truckers, people who are who are some of them vaccinated, but are just standing up for their rights. And so I think the, these these this new convoy of truckers are probably along the same vein. Now, I think uh, Muriel Bowser, she's trying to get ahead of the story. I mean, if you remember, Maria, back in January, uh, uh, she released a letter January 5th of 2021, where she's saying, you know, to the Pentagon, to, you know, U.S. officials, no, we don't need additional law enforcement. We don't need support. Let the local police handle it. And then we saw what happened on January 6th. So I think she's trying to cover her tracks in advance of, of something happening. Yeah, but can you imagine if we see people's uh, bank accounts get frozen like what Justin Trudeau did, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, that'd be obviously a very extreme measure. And, and the 800 National Guard seems excessive. Also, the fencing is going back up around the Capitol because of the truckers and because of the oh State of the God. Union, the same high security fencing we had after January 6th. And every time there's a rally in D.C., I mean, if you're looking for investment advice, whatever company is responsible for manufacturing, erecting and taking down these fences, I think is going to go through the roof because anytime we get the smallest disruption, those things go up and absolutely disrupt uh, traffic and everything in Washington, D.C., more than it's already messed up. Just when you think it can't get worse, it gets worse. 
And folks, I am all in. I am 100% for anybody in the United States of America that wants to protest peaceably about anything. I really am. In fact, that's one of the foundational rules that this nation was built on, the First Amendment and its guarantees. The First Amendment doesn't give us the right to peaceably protest. All it is is a reconfirmation from the founders to the American people telling the government in the First Amendment, look, these are the rights that we the people own. We make sure that you understand you didn't give us these rights. These are our rights, and we're going to demand that they are honored by anybody in government. Our right to peaceably protest. In fact, I think people on the other side of this equation, they go way too far overboard. It's totally needless to do that. How many times have you seen a big protest go on and the default position of the people around it, not those that are involved in it, but the people around it, they begin to look automatically as these people are crazed, they're stupid, they don't know what they're doing, they're illegals, they want to come in here and be violent and do all this kind of stuff. Well, we saw that play out. We saw it play out in Minneapolis, in Rochester. We saw it play out in Chicago, in New York City, in Atlanta, in Baltimore, in Philadelphia. Real rioting. It was never meant to be protesting. It was constructed to be rioting. But just like this convoy in Ottawa, Canada, there was no violence. There was never any violence. And Justin Trudeau got up on the floor of Parliament And right after a conservative leader, who happens to be a Jewish woman, gave a speech basically saying, we support the peaceful protesting. Trudeau got up and said, you can align yourselves with people that hang swastikers at the corners and fly the Confederate flags if you want to. But we're going to come down on the side of the Canadian people. And this woman was a Jewish woman. There were no swastikas in that truck convoy. There were no Confederate flags in that convoy. But Justin Trudeau knew, hey, this is going to be viewed all around the world. I want to take this chance to make a political statement as me being the guy. You know, I'm a little bitty guy, but I'm an authoritarian ruler in a free democratic country. I've got a story in just a few minutes that I'm going to bring to you that'll curl your hair about this very thing. We have so many things I want to cover, but let me tell you something very important for you to understand and realize. An explosive report that came from the Department of Defense's Inspector General, it reveals something pretty scary that Joe Biden allowed. Dozens of Afghans in that withdrawal came to the United States without being properly vetted, which we knew that was going to happen. We knew from the very beginning, but Alejandro Mayorkas, as Congressman Johnson referred to, he had no intentions of making sure who these people were. They want everybody, every illegal immigrant that wants to come here, they want them to come here. This report was released over the weekend. It exposed massive holes in Biden's unlimited resettlement of Afghans to American communities, such as a lack of vetting through the National Counterterrorism Center database. Specifically, 
The report shows how Biden's agencies did not use the available data when vetting Afghan evacuees. And therefore, the National Ground Intelligence Center, NGIC, discovered that Afghans with derogatory information, 50 of them are on terrorist watch list. They were brought to the United States and we don't know where they are. No big story, just a little bitty throw in there. Nobody's hit the panic button. Nobody in the administration has said a word about it. DOD personnel couldn't locate these 50 Afghan evacuees. Thirty-one as of September 17th. Thirty-one. And it's all the way up to 50 now. And we don't know where they are. That doesn't bother you a bit. And so let me just tell you where my heart is on this. Right now, for those Afghan refugees, God bless them. We gave them a chance to get away from a horrible situation over there. And most of them are legitimate. My heart goes out to them, and I'm glad they're given another chance. But folks, we've got to demand that every one of those people goes through that background investigation to confirm that they're not terrorists. And anybody that doesn't show up or anybody that doesn't clear that, they've got to be immediately deported. We don't need to bring terrorism to our shores. There's plenty enough of it already here. There's plenty of that already here, folks. We don't need any more. I didn't have time this morning to bring this up with Congressman Mike Johnson but I urge you to reach out to your congressional representatives in both the House and the Senate and tell them how you feel. Look, if they can't be vetted, if they haven't been vetted, they got to go. If they don't want to go through a normal immigration process, let's send them back to where they, they came from. That's the way the law is structured to work in the first place. They're not supposed to be here unless they've been vetted and invited to come to the United States. It's no different than anybody and everybody flooding across our southern border. They all need to be treated according to the law. And we have to fuss about that? Oh my gosh. Do you know who Malcolm Nance is? The first time I did a story on TNN Live here about him, I'd watched him through the years. He is an African-American guy. He's been a heavyweight in our government's intelligence and security agencies. He's been around a long time, but he is a militant guy. So yesterday, he was on MSNBC. He's an intelligence analyst for MSNBC on the show The Beat. Listen to what Nance said. Former President Donald Trump will be responsible, in part at least, for any of the bloody consequences of Vladimir Putin's attempt to annex a portion of Ukraine. Now, this is an intelligence expert, and he's saying that forget about anything other than Vladimir Putin doing whatever he's going to do in Ukraine. Whatever it is, it's Trump's fault. Nance justified it by saying this. Dictators are going to talk to dictators and talk like dictators. 
Game knows game. Donald Trump in this particular circumstances, look, he's an autocrat. I said that when he became president, he's an autocrat. Putin's strategy is to create an axis of autocrats. And Trump was the American wing, which was supposed to reposition the United States and was going to allow Europe to become an area of an expanded Russia. This is just Donald Trump validating what we know about him. He's anti-democratic. He is ready to give this country away. Now you put that in the context. This guy said it. He was given and is given an international bully pulpit to spew this venom, none of which, not one thing of what he said is verifiable at all. In fact, evidence shows it's exactly the opposite of that. Now, if we were talking about Joe Biden or Barack Obama, that would be a horse of a different color because there is a lot of autocracy in their rearview mirrors of the way that they have acted when they were in office. Anybody that says Donald Trump did one thing while president that an autocrat would do or that he pushed to be able to do anything autocratically, you'll never be able to point to a single circumstance that backs that up. I'm just saying, folks. Biden was so in the tank for the American people, giving more and more power from the Ameri- to the American people, taking it back from the government. He despised the way that his predecessors used their power, used the title President of the United States to benefit themselves and others rather than to benefit the American people. He hated that, despised it with a passion. And here is an autocrat wannabe himself, Malcolm Nance. He wants to be known as the truth-sayer for all intelligence matters for the United States and about the United States of America. That just nauseated me to hear that he said it. And and as a matter of fact, I know who he is. I've researched him here. We've had him uh, stories about him on the show before. And we've even played an interview between him and some other people before. But I never expected this from him. I can't believe somebody would be that bold to say that. But you know what? People believe anything. Think about one thing and think about how ridiculous it may be. And just know this. There's somebody out there that believes that absolutely is factual. And everybody has the right to draw their own opinion about anything. That's just the way life goes. Now, expressing it in some way or another, that's a different story. But people just have these crazy, crazy ideas about a lot of things. You know who Senator Rick Scott is. He's a Republican from Florida, was a former governor before Ron DeSantis. He's come up with this 11-point plan. And... Let me go through the 11 points very briefly. We don't have a lot of time left, but I think this is important for everybody to know. Um, His plan indicated in his government reform debt section that the senator wants to enact term limits on any elected official in D.C. In other words, you can only serve one or two terms, period. And we've talked about that being something that would be advisable to be done in the first place. That would stop people building these fiefdoms of political power by staying in office 
and in bureaucratic positions for decades. The permanent ruling class in D.C. is bankrupting us with inflation and debt, Scott said. they got to be removed. For you to have more, Washington must have less. He is the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, the committee that helps GOP senators get reelected, new candidates elected. He wrote in his vision for the party, there needs to be term limits for Washington's ruling class, 12-year limits for Congress and government bureaucrats, while noting there should be exceptions for national security reasons only. While Washington politicians are cashing in from their quote-unquote public service, Scott wants to also forbid politicians from becoming lobbyists and make it so no government employee can make more than five times the national median individual income. He released his 11-point broad vision yesterday. The plan from Scott represents possibly the clearest overarching view any Republican has offered ahead of the 2022 midterm election on the party's vision for the future, has clear endorsements upon its release from top party leaders. It also signals a big shift in the GOP towards culture war issues that motivate voters and a serious effort to confront and address the litany of problems facing all of us. The plan which Scott and his team previewed ahead of its public release is published at breitbartnews.com and is available for the public to see at the website rescueamerica.com. Scott launched that to roll out his proposal. Again, the website is rescueamerica.com. I'm not going to go into 11 points other than the one we did about term limits, but go check it out at rescueamerica.com. I think it'll make you feel a little bit better about some things that uh, you're struggling with right now. I guess you heard the people in leadership over in Europe are getting a little bit wise about all things COVID. The British government's going to announce the end of all their remaining COVID rules and obligations during this week. But even as the end of that liberty, illiberty is coming, the prime minister has managed expectations by warning the public, we need to learn to live with this virus. Novel idea, huh? Boris Johnson, prime minister. The so-called, his so-called living with COVID plan, it's going to be announced in a public address later today. It follows an earlier unwinding of rules in January, which saw mask mandates terminated and Prime Minister Johnson saying he was aiming for an end of all rules by March and the country moving towards treating COVID in the same way it does seasonal flu. Now that's, that's in the UK, that's in Britain. Where else? Well, Ireland. Ireland is announcing a return to normality. Mask mandates, mandatory testing, and close contact isolation requirements are all set to be scrapped in Ireland coming this Monday. They announced that yesterday. The move marks a return to normality for the island nation, though some maintain the government deserves a metaphorical slap on the head for allowing draconian lockdowns to be implemented in the first place. (laughs) I like that. According to a report by the Irish Times, a big majority of mass mandates within the country are set to be completely scrapped. So finally, 
Some people somewhere in leadership, political leadership, are waking up and realizing this whole COVID crap, it's just gone too far. It has just gone too far. Do you know who Molly Hemingway is? She's one of my favorite people in D.C. journalism. She works for the Federalist. You see her every once in a while as a contributing um, spokesman on Fox News and various things about various issues. She's a really good writer, too. Well, she hit back and pointed out yesterday, she pointed out some things that uh, are kind of uncanny about the way Joe Biden is being treated by who? By the media. Joe Biden gets a free pass for everything. I think you've got to admit that. In light of current events, grab my hand and let's walk down memory lane together all the way back to the year of our Lord, 2012, when then Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney was lambasted by Democrats in the media for daring to say that Russia was, quote, our number one geopolitical foe. Then President Obama at the time pounced on Romney at the third presidential debate. A few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not Al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Ooh, sick burn, Mr. President. Joe Biden piled on, of course, saying, quote, Romney acts like he thinks the Cold War is still on. I don't know where he's been. Well, fast forward 10 years, and Russia has now invaded, over those 10 years, a Democratic U.S. ally for the second time, once under Obama, now once under Biden. So are the Democrats on the hook for not taking Romney's warning more seriously back then? Joining me now is Fox News contributor and The Federalist editor-in-chief, Molly Hemingway. Molly, great to see you. Great to be here with you. I just want to start with this. I don't want to pick too much on Chris Eliza, who's now at CNN, but I think this helps illustrate this phenomenon very starkly. Back then, here was a tweet from Saliza, who'd watched the debates. Oh, he loves it. Methinks this was the best line of all three debates. He also called it a mic drop moment in another tweet. Well, here's Saliza's column from today at CNN.com. Oh, it's time to admit Romney was right about Russia just in the nick of time. Don't rush into it, Chris. Ten years later, Molly. And look, your reaction to this in general, because to me, I remember all the high-fiving after Obama had that rehearsed line, and oh, he really stuck it to Romney. There's been, shall we say, a bit of a shift in the media's tone about Russia in the intervening years, has there not? The media were absolutely horrific to Mitt Romney during that debate and everything about that campaign. But they were wrong only because they wanted their favorite person ever, Barack Obama, to win that election. The fact is that both of those people were actually wrong in the debate. Both Mitt Romney and Barack Obama were wrong. Uh, Mitt Romney says that Russia was our number one geopolitical foe and Barack Obama said it was al-Qaeda. What neither of them were focusing on was the actual number one geopolitical adversary, which was China. And they should have been focusing on it then. They should be focusing focusing on it now. But the flip-flops are not about 
actually our foreign policy establishment understanding how to prioritize threats to the country. It's just about raw political power. And so they, they, they mocked Romney then because they wanted Barack Obama to win. And now they have turned 180 degrees mm -hmm. because they know Joe Biden's having a very bad presidency and they want to use this as a way to get everybody off the topic of all of his other failures. And Romney had a much better point at least back then than they would let on as they now all are finally willing to concede a decade later, Molly. So let's just look now into a crystal ball. 10 years from now, what do you think the media might finally admit to us? I have very low expectations for them. You said something a minute ago about um, how Putin had invaded Ukraine under Barack Obama and, un and under now Joe Biden. The one president that he didn't do it under was Donald Trump, right, who had a very different foreign policy, who did not who did not do that. So I have no expectation. I assume they will still be pushing uh, bad ideas about where we should focus our interests, but they're wrong about everything. So uh, namely, they'll be wrong about foreign policy in the years to come, and they will learn nothing, because that's the one thing about our foreign policy establishment. No matter how much they get it wrong, whether it was getting it wrong on how to fight wars or which wars to, to intervene in, they never learn a lesson, and it's the same people coming back year after year with more of their bad ideas. See, I'm sort of waiting. I don't know when it's going to come. It might come soon for the revisionism from their perspective on Trump, because it's always the next Republican who's even worse and more evil than ever. And so we've already seen actually hints of this with Ron DeSantis. I think that there's going to be a rehabilitation of Trump for their power politics purposes, maybe a lot sooner than 10 years from now. Molly, we've got to leave it there. We appreciate hey, seeing you. Okay. Please, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Just, I don't think people understand how much the mistreatment of Mitt Romney brought on Donald Trump. We all saw that the media were horrific to this like very nice guy, and and we all we all said there's no reason to ever to ever care what the media have to say about any Republican no, nominee I think from here on out. It was a radicalizing event, and I think that's a very good point. And I'm glad you <laughs> jumped in before I sent it to break because it was an important point to be made by Molly Hemingway. Molly, thank you. Very clear, concise explanations about all that regarding how the media have just pandered to Joe Biden and give him a free pass on everything. Something really big just popped out. Newsworthy, very newsworthy. We're going to get right into it. Last story of the day, right after this at TNN Live. Sit tight, back in a minute. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. 
Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. This last story, it just frosted me. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, he launched a donation portal the end of February following news that the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, listen to this, they denied Southwest Florida tornado victims recovery aid. We cannot continue waiting on the feds to provide relief to these Floridians, the governor said. After meeting with survivors last week, it's clear they still need our help. So Florida Department of Emergency Management Director Kevin Guthrie said that the tornado victims have been navigating a really difficult recovery process. These donations are going to directly provide assistance to our disaster survivors who need it most. The division is working around the clock to connect disaster survivors with this vital resource, which will help them recover faster and begin to rebuild after experiencing extensive devastation. Now, why does that frost me so much? Let me just say this. There are always horrible natural disasters that happen across this nation. I mean, coast to coast. Nobody's exempt. It happens all the time. It's floods. It's hurricanes. It's fires. It's tornadoes. It's earthquakes. You name it. And anytime that happens, the federal government is always Johnny on the spot to jump in immediately with help, financial help, aid, all of those kinds of things, because you know why? It doesn't matter in which one of the 50 states these things happen in. Those are American people. And it's not their fault that there was a disaster. It is incorrigible that this president and his FEMA refused to aid those Floridians after those tornadoes struck. I hate to end a show with that, but I made sure that we got it in there so that you know what's going on. Our thanks to Congressman Mike Johnson, who joined us at the top of the show. If you missed the show, don't forget you can grab it any one of a number of places. Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, uh, Google Podcast. And on our story today on our front page of Truth News Network, if you scroll down to the bottom, there'll be a link there that you can get the whole show. And he was at the top of the show. You don't want to miss it. Have a great day. We're back tomorrow. See you then. My tears get in the way And I need you back to stay I wander through the night And search the world to find the words to make it right
Someday. 